It seems like every time you turn on the television or go to the movie theater, there's a new comic book adaptation. Between the Avengers, X-Men, Justice League, and Deadpool, the superhero landscape looks vastly different than it did in 1991. Back then, comic book adaptations were a gamble. For every iconic movie such as Superman starring Christopher Reeve, there were direct-to-video flops like The Punisher starring Dolph Lundgren. But with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle success and Batman paving the way before that, Disney was willing to take a bet on a little-known pulp-style comic character set in the 1930s called The Rocketeer. Action, adventure, whimsy, and an innocence rarely seen in superhero flicks made The Rocketeer stand out in 1991, and are what will help propel it to an entirely new audience today. In this episode, we'll talk classic Rocketeer, the new Disney Junior cartoon, and interview the Rocketeer himself, Billy Campbell. Get ready to blast off. This is Wayback Attack. Welcome to Wayback Attack, the show that takes a look at current pop culture and reflects on how we got here. We try to navigate the influences that shape everything we love and some things we don't. When the past is present, we've got you covered. My name is Brian Grantham. Sitting across from me, as always, is Preston Burt. Preston, how the heck are you doing? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I, I know I say that every episode, uh, but, well, one, we've only this is only our third episode, but still, our last episode, as you know, was about Halloween. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Mm-hmm. We had a great one, uh, despite it being rainy at first, but it was, uh, we had over 60 trick-or-treaters come to the house. My kids had a great time. They, all their friends came over to our house afterwards to trade candy and stuff. So I'm still kind of coming down off of that high. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really fun time. How about you? Do you have a good, good Halloween? I did nothing. I just <laughs> sat at home. I had, I lived so far out in the middle of nowhere. I had no, no one come over. I live like in a neighborhood. So you yeah. think there, and I know there are kids in this neighborhood because the guy that lives next door to me has a train uh, that he has built into like these train cars that he has. I don't know what the engine is from, but uh, and the people that lived in this house before we bought it told us that, um, yeah, he'll take your kids around the neighborhood on the train and stuff. And so uh, I have seen him doing that with other kids in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, my kids have never done that because um, I I like to not talk to my neighbors. Right. <laughs> so uh, it was something it, it was something that was instilled in me back when I was like 18. And when I first moved out, I would talk to my neighbors. And then one of my roommates was like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to the neighbors? And I was like. I don't know. He's like, we don't talk to our neighbors. <laughs> so ever since then, I've done that. I've done the same thing. My girlfriend talks to our neighbors, not here, but at like previous places. And so I'm always just like, no, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're more increasingly on the on the the norm uh, as far as it goes with neighbor interactions. Mm-hmm. But I think it's funny to hear how few trick or treaters you had compared to how many I had. But I think I figured it out. It's because you know you. Uh, you live a little bit more in the rural area and I'm like the, my subdivision is like the last subdivision before a rural area. Mm -hmm. So I think we get a lot of folks that come from, from the countryside to, Mm -hmm. to the first kind of neighborhood to go really door to door. So, um, anyway, it was great. Uh, I had a good time and I'm, I'm also feeling pretty good about our launch, uh, of the podcast and knowing how many people have already found us and listened to us and, have uh, been kind enough to leave us some favorable reviews and share our podcast around where they can. We really appreciate it, and it's uh, it's 
energizing to see uh, so much excitement. Yeah, it was super exciting to see all that because, you know, we kind of hit the ground running with a lot of uh, exposure with trying to make sure that we got the word out that the podcast had started. And so uh, seeing that, you know, we had such such a good turnout in the first tw- uh, 24 hours was really exciting and get you upbeat and yeah. thinking, oh, well, yeah, we are doing this for something good. All right. Well, I mean, it's uh, we picked two exciting topics. We picked, a, you know, dedicated horror with Creepshow and now uh, and then we had everybody's favorite of Halloween and hair. I don't know if we're going to do a little left turn or, or what, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the Rocketeer. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, you know, there is a costume involved. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good transition, good segue. So, with the concept of our show, we're looking at stuff that was um, had a history in the past and is now uh, in pop culture present. And the reason we're talking about it is because November eighth, Disney Junior is launching a new Rocketeer series, uh, and it is an animated series. Mm-hmm. And it's about an all-new female lead, little girl, Kit Secord, uh, the the granddaughter or great-granddaughter of the original Rocketeer. And it's a kid's show, so it's a totally different take. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but we just wanted to set the stage for why we're pulling out the Rocketeer, a movie from 1991, mm-hmm. um, all the way into uh, 2019. So, going back to our history... In 1991, mm-hmm. did you get to see this movie in the theater? I, so I was thinking about this the other day, and I know I really liked it when I was a kid, but I'm not sure if it was when it came out on Disney Channel, if, uh-huh. if that's when I watched it, because I was trying to think of where I was in 91, and I would have been 10, so that would be like fourth grade. I was living in Birmingham at that time. I went to the movies. There was a like a mall close to where I lived, and so... It is possible I saw it in the movies, but I feel like it was probably the Disney Channel when it came out, and that is probably where I saw it the most. Mm-hmm. I don't have a specific memory of going to see it in the theater. Like, I don't have a memory of coming out of the theater and saying, wow, this changed my worldview. But I know for a fact I probably did. Well, I say no for a fact, and then I say probably. But <laughs> I'm going to say I know for a fact I did see this movie in the theater because we were a very movie-going family. My mm-hmm. mom, her favorite pastime is going to the movies and so a movie from disney with superheroes action and adventure that was right up our alley i guarantee you i saw this in the theater and i do remember loving this movie mm-hmm. i thought it was great yeah i thought it was too um but you'll you know it's weird um we've got an interview uh, later on in the episode where i get a chance to talk to the rocketeer himself billy campbell and as we're doing research for this and and i talked to him you know we're you hear that it wasn't as big a hit movie as I felt it was. Right. You know, as a little uh, 11-year-old kid seeing this grand spectacle and this 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 great, you know, a superhero film, mm-hmm. comic books, all right, on the big screen, and then just feeling so excited afterwards to find out later in life that it actually wasn't that, right. wasn't that successful. Yeah. Um, do you remember other movies that came out that summer? Uh, so I'm going to guess Terminator. Oh no, Terminator Two would have been maybe the year after that. No, you're right. Terminator, was it Terminator 2. Two. Okay. So you'll hear on the interview um, with Billy that this movie was sandwiched between two other hits. Mm. So in the month before, in June, you had not only 
uh, City Slickers, mm-hmm. um, which had a pretty long tailwind of success. But then uh, the week before, you had Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, okay, which uh, it was pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Rocketeer, and then like the next week, I think Terminator Two debuted. See, I did see that in theaters because I remembered riding around on my bikes with my friends, acting like we were flipping the shotgun around in our hand, like we were on a motorcycle. So, mm-hmm. it's it's so I'm going to go ahead and say that I did not see it in theaters, The Rocketeer, because I don't remember pretending to be the Rocketeer ever, and that's something that I totally would have done. I don't. Well, you're different than me. I don't know that I'd run around pretending I'm in the Rocketeer, but uh, I really did enjoy the movie. So, if you're listening to this episode, um. You probably have seen the Rocketeer. If not, I mean the the, the description is succinct <laughs> on IMDb. A young pilot stumbles onto a prototype jetpack that allows him to become a high flying masked hero. Um, you know this one is based off a comic book. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest. I before this movie came out, I had never heard of the Rocketeer comic book. Mm-mm. Uh, who published and it? And I was I was a comic book collector. Like mm-hmm. I I lived for the X Men and mm-hmm. and going to the comic shop and stuff. Um, but I uh, was totally unaware of of uh, the Rocketeer comic book. And then you know I got to admit too that I actually didn't I didn't really check it out or, or read it <laughs> after the <laughs> after the movie either. It's just kind of like, kind of standalone. The movie was was all I wanted to see. Yeah, the um and, and this was a weird movie for Disney uh because uh, there's there's pe- people dying in it, right? Uh you got Nazis, people dying. Um I guess that's the only things that I I found extremely <laughs> weird. Uh but um you know, if you look at this movie then, right? This movie is very similar to um when I when I watch it now, I think, oh, this is very similar to Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Like there are some shots in this movie that are very similar to shots from Star Wars, like um, when there's like a Zeppelin blowing up and a gyrocopter flying towards the camera, and it makes me think of like the Millennium Falcon shooting out of the Death Star. You know, like uh-huh. there, there's a lot of things like that, uh, and of course, just the time setting, the period of the piece, and everything like that. It reminds me of. Indiana Jones because it's fighting Nazis. And- Look, I could have probably told you the the basic plot and and, and some of the key plot points, mm-hmm. um, having not seen this movie in ten years or or longer. I mean, I have watched this one more than once in my life. Right. But in preparation for this podcast, I watched it again, mm-hmm. and I gotta say, when you look at it as an adult, I mean. No wonder I loved this movie as a kid. It has everything. Mm-hmm. Like Stefan from SNL would say, it's got, I mean, it's got starlets. It's got Nazis. It's got giant uh, mobsters mm-hmm. who talk like Pee Wee Herman doing a voiceover. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call. It's got... Uh, Hindenburgs or Zeppelins exploding. Mm-hmm. It's got giant clams. It's got a Jaws. superhero that's shaped like a hood ornament. <laughs> I mean, it's got everything. Yeah, the uh, that so that's another thing I forgot about was was the mobster thing. Normally, a movie that has this kind of action in it would have been reserved for something like Touchstone Pictures or something like that. But this was full full. Disney. They tried to get it 
done by Touchstone. Oh, okay. And then it shifted over to the uh, the full Disney. And you know, if you read some of the history, uh, a, a lot of the reason Disney wanted it under the Disney banner mm-hmm. was because of the potential merchandising rights mm. uh, and, and the the profit potential from action figures and stuff. Um, the let me look and see what the the take was on the the, the box office. But I want to say, like, it was um, it was a thirty nine million dollar movie, or sorry, thirty five million dollar budget, and it made forty six million uh, and change um, at the box office. So you look at that and you are like, oh, this is profitable. Why why is everybody saying it's it's bad? Well, because they not- spent nineteen million dollars just on TV marketing alone. Wow. So you add that to the budget, and it's a it's already at a deficit. Mm-hmm. And then you have, um, you know, it just it just didn't pan out like they thought it would. And and I don't know why, honestly, other than being sandwiched in between those two other movies, because it's got it's got a great cast. Mm-hmm. It's got the action adventure spirit. This one to me was, I won't say it was exactly like it, but. You ever gone to a movie that you didn't really have any expectation going into and you come away and you're just like, whoa, that's what a movie experience should be like. <laughs> yes. For me, I can compare that slightly to Pirates of the Caribbean, yet another Disney property. Mm-hmm. That's a movie that I went into and I'm like, oh my gosh, they made a movie about a stupid ride. Mm-hmm. And then you go in and you see like the swashbuckling and the spectacle of it all and then the humor and it's just like, whoa, I was totally not expecting that and I loved it. That was, For me as a kid, that was the Rocketeer. It mm-hmm. had that grand spectacle. It had the adventure um, and it had that, that hero aspect that I love from comic books so much. Yeah. And the nice thing about, about – like you, you mentioned it earlier with the cast of this uh, – that really goes a long way into making this a movie that is memorable Mm -hmm. because it wasn't no name people. Right. So, uh, you had, um, you know, you already talked about Bill Campbell, but you had Jennifer Connelly, uh, played his girlfriend. You had, uh, Alan Arkin was like, uh, his buddy, Mm -hmm. right. The mechanic or whatever. Yeah. And he's almost unrecognizable in this role. I'm so used to seeing him with short cropped or bald head and no mustache. Mm -hmm. And usually in a, a different accent too, that I was like, who is that? Alan Arkin. Whoa. <laughs> the worst James Bond, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Timothy Dalton is the uh, the bad guy in it. Uh, and then you have Paul Servino is, starts off as a bad guy, but redeems himself by the end of it uh, as the mob boss. And then... Um, I'm guessing Tiny Ron Taylor is the uh, the is the. <laughs> How did you figure that <laughs> the Herman Munster looking guy? Is yeah. A, is a, yeah. So. No, this was this is this had a good cast. Even if they weren't, I don't know if they were necessarily a list at the time. Right. Uh, they had recognizable recognizable faces and you know top quality character actors that really helped carry the movie. Billy Campbell, I don't think was a he was not the first, second, third, or fourth choice of the. Of Disney, I don't think, but um, Dave Stevens, the comic book creator, was like when he walked in mm-hmm. to the audition, he looked the part, mm-hmm. and it was totally his to lose because he just that was his basically quintessential vision of who the character should be, and um, so he fit it to a T. 
And, um, you know, you had Jennifer Connelly, who had a successful career before that. We remembered her from Labyrinth, of course, and she's mm-hmm. done a number of other things since then. Um, and, oh, Terry O'Quinn. I mean, people remember him from Lost now, but he was great and a bunch of other stuff in the 80s. I remember the cutting edge, different things like that. It's weird to see him with hair and a mustache, too. But, um, no, th- these these were great, great actors, delivered strong performances. The only thing I would say um, was our, our, our buddy... Um, tiny Ron Taylor Mm -hmm. was the makeup effects on him looked great Mm -hmm. and he's obviously an imposing man but when they had him speak I mentioned earlier you know the lips were prosthetic and so they didn't move so he just moved his jaw open and shut so it didn't have the form features of forming words and so they did a horrible voiceover on him it (laughs) sounded like that that part in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Most of the sounds he makes are grunts and stuff. Anyways. Yeah, but there's sometimes he talks. <laughs> uh, and then I also like for for the Star Trek nerds out there, I love seeing Max Groden chick sans his uh, Ferengi makeup. He played uh, he played Rom in uh, Star Trek: New Space Nine. Mm-hmm. So little deep cut there for people who aren't Star Trek fans. Um, he was the guy that got folded in half. Oh, okay. Who uh, originally yeah, yeah. had the rocket. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm trying to think. Fun facts. Did you read any fun facts? I did not. I saw that the um, the Hindenburg explosion. Mm-hmm. I say Hindenburg. It's not. It's just a Zeppelin. <laughs> but obviously, I think Hindenburg when I think it was Zeppelin. a Nazi Zeppelin. So I know Nazis. Uh, that effect alone cost four hundred thousand dollars to complete. Well, so to the reason for that, right, is, is ILM did the special effects in this uh-huh. movie. And some of the effects really hold up, and then a lot of them do not. Anytime that, like, um, that the Rocketeer is kind of far away from the camera and flying around, or, you know, when they put the jetpack on the statue of Lucky London, I think was was the name of the <laughs> flight school guy, um, that stuff looks really good. But, like, there's a lot of times where he's it's just in front of a blue screen or mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and... Uh, at the end of the movie when the bad guy gets blown up, like it, it looks kind of like, oh, well, these effects do not hold yeah. up very well. Well, it's funny. My, my kids watched it with me, and uh, th- their understanding of it being dated, mm-hmm. but they were very complimentary. They're like, wow, those are really good green screen effects. <laughs> I mean, you know, in comparison and relative to the time. Um, it was really cool to, uh, to, to, to see them watch it, but I think they felt what I have read one of the critiques of this movie is, and I'm trying to find it on um, this Wikipedia page. They had a, a couple of quotes of the, the critical feedback. And um, let's see. Yeah. Leonard Malton wrote that this film captures a look of the thirties as well as the gee whiz innocence of Saturday matinee serials, but it's a ta- but it's talky and takes too much time to get where it's going. Huh. Um, I don't know if that's... I mean, obviously, he recognized that back then when it debuted, but it's something that I've talked about uh, with my friends and my wife before about how I think attention spans have changed right. over the years. Mm-hmm. And when you look back at movies that were um, in, in our childhoods growing up, I think there was more dialogue and talking and exposition right. and not as much cut paste, quick action, you know, 
from frame to frame. Well, that's like uh, you know Star Wars: A New Hope, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there's that's one of the big differences between four, five, and six, and one, two, and three is that there were times where like Luke is just sitting on his speeder, looking out the sun on ta- or the suns on Tatooine, right? And it's just like you know. 30 seconds of that and there's there's there the pacing in it is very different from Mm -hmm. what they are nowadays and so uh it's funny that back then that he would say oh it takes too long to get into the action type of stuff because i feel like the movie starts off pretty much in the action right like the um immediately getting shot down by mobsters in a car and and so like because when i was watching it i was thinking okay well they're doing the thing I like it in books when they do it too. Is they start off with something intense and then they get you caught up on what's going on and then more intense stuff, right? And the only slow part that I can think of would be when after they find the jetpack and they're testing it to try to figure out what you do with it. And I don't. I think that kids probably look at that differently. I guess because kids are about the wonder and like oh and like and you're imagining what you're going to be able to do with it and that's only that's weird that he would say it takes too long to get into the action i think maybe uh maybe it's talking about how his journey to becoming quote the rocketeer yeah is a little bit later in the film i think that he doesn't actually ever get there because he's kind of a buffoon the whole time he is. <laughs> and so like he never he never does anything that he sets out to do on purpose. <laughs> and so it, it like you would have liked to have seen some kind of arc that ends with him being yeah. like, like like oh that's the rocketeer right there, you know? Yeah. Like but I think that part of the reason that that happens is they had a sequel you know, well, they left it open at the end for a sequel to mm-hmm. happen. And I think that probably they were thinking, oh, this movie will do great. And then we can make him the hero that he was meant to be in part two. Yeah. Because that would have been awesome. Right. Could, like, you know, this movie takes place right before America gets in. It's 38, I think. And it takes place in 38. And so, like, you know, right before America gets into World War Two, And then so, like, the sequel would have been you know, the rocketeer overseas. Cause obviously he would have joined the military and been like a fighter pilot uh-huh. and then get shot down and has to strap on the rocket to finish the job or something. You know, that would have been awesome. But. Yeah, totally. Um, so w- what did you love about the movie? What, uh, what, spe- were there any, uh, specific aspects that you really, uh, remembered and, and, uh, f- found new when you s- watch it again? Yeah. So the, um, I think that, uh, I like the look of that of that movie. Um you know, the art deco style and stuff like that. I think looks really cool and I've I've always liked that style. Mm-hmm. And there were certain parts of this movie that I think are iconic like towards the end you see when he's getting ready to fly up to the Zeppelin you know, there's like a pose where he so he stands a certain way and like looks out, and someone goes, oh, "That's the Rocketeer," and yeah. and you know, like I think there are certain parts of that. Um, you know, flying planes is cool, and so like that part, I, like I like that part when I was a kid, and you know, there's really cool mm-hmm. punching out the window while you're flying a plane and getting oil sprayed in your face and stuff. It's uh, it, it's funny because it's it obviously takes place in a specific time, mm-hmm. um, the 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 late 1930s. And it, uh, but I think because I never lived in that time Mm -hmm. and it was so long, you know, past, like when watching back to the future, something you can kind of feel remnants of that culture and that still exists, uh, you know, rock and roll McDonald's and stuff like that. But it's 
was so far removed that t- this movie almost feels timeless to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's it's very fantastical and uh, of an era that was long gone by, but really, really cool to see on screen. So I definitely love the art design on that, the visuals. I thought it was a great time to to uh, to theme the movie and and place it. Um, well, so you know, like I think for me. Because that would have been that I don't remember when the Batman animated series started, mm-hmm. but it was also very Art Deco style, right? Yeah. And so, like, there were there were multiple things around that time period that I was into that all looked similar to that, and so I don't think it seemed strange. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm ten, and I'm <laughs> really big into Art Deco. <laughs> you know what? I I still am. I have I have some stuff here, but like I I I would I didn't know what that was back yeah. then, but. I just like the way that that looked, and you know, like, Ugh, like, gothic. Please get out of here with that. And it's not even it's not even the um just the like building design and stuff like that. The way that people dressed in the Batman animated series is very similar to the way people dress uh-huh. in there. So. Were you a huge Dick Tracy fan? Too? I did. I love Dick Tracy. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the I, I love that. I was I was a huge Dick Tracy fan. I think that must have come out of around the same time too. Maybe mm-hmm. a, a year before, like nineteen ninety. As compared to ninety one, and that might have also been why uh, Disney was willing to take a gamble on the Rocketeer because they had some success with the Dick Tracy franchise, mm-hmm. or that might have been Warner Brothers. But maybe they saw that and thought, "Hey, this is good." Um, in my intro, I talked a little bit about about how the landscape was different between, um, well, obviously now and then, but in nineteen ninety one, there had been some successful comic book movies, but they were fewer and far between. You mm-hmm. had Superman, you had the Michael Keaton Batman, um, but you also in 1990 had Marvel's Captain America that was direct to video and is so atrociously bad. Even back then, it was bad. I have to watch it again because I saw I, like the last time I watched it would have been in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I remember not hating it. I thought the Red School looked cool. <laughs> you when you watched it in the 90s, you didn't hate it because it was the only thing you had. I guess. I guess. That's you know, true. like you wanted to love it so much, you were way more forgiving mm-hmm. than you would be now. But there was no use forgiving this movie, The Rocketeer. I thought it was great. The only complaints I did have, um, aside from like I mentioned the the uh, the the brute force squad uh, guy with his uh, no moving <laughs> lips, was spoiler alert at the very end. It's revealed that Neville Sinclair uh, is a Nazi. Um, he's a take on Errol Flynn, of course, mm-hmm. um, who was rumored at the time. T- to have been a, a Nazi spy, but that's been debunked. But anyway, at the end, there's like, they come to the uh, the observatory that's so iconic in different uh, Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. um, Griffith Observatory. And the mobsters are there, and Sinclair's there, and they've got the girl, and he's trying to get her, he, the Rocketeer's trying to get get her released, and they reveal he's a Nazi. And they're like, all the mobs, mob guys, instead of pointing their guns at, at Cliff, start pointing their guns at the Nazi. Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, he gives a little call, a little shout out in German, and out come these Nazis, <laughs> like a, a whole platoon full of Nazis in full uniform yeah. in Los Angeles in 1938. Well, they set it up. <laughs> so earlier in the movie, 
um, uh, Jenny and, and Cliff are going to the movie theater. And before the movie that they're going to go see, um, there is, you know, they used to play the newsreels uh-huh. or whatever. And they're like, Coming to America is the Nazis Zeppelins on a on a goodwill tour on a, or a, a peace of the world tour and he says or no a, a peace a world peace tour and Cliff goes yeah a peace of the world tour is more like it like uh-huh. and so like they they set everything up pretty well my my biggest problem with this movie is Cliff's kind of a jerk the entire movie <laughs> like he's a bumbling idiot but also like but he uh, looks good man he does he looks very good. Uh, but to like Jenny, like he's always like, like, you know, you're just you're not an actress. You're just yeah. You're, you're standing in the set, background. Yeah, you're set dressing. He's just always mean to her. And then and then so she like tries to make him jealous. And he just he never like is like you know what I believe in you. He's 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 uh-huh. always he's always very selfish. And I kept thinking, okay, well surely at some point he's gonna be like well, I, even <laughs> even uh when he goes to the. The fancy club. She's already having dinner with Neville Sinclair. He mm-hmm. interrupts her, and she's like, "If you think you can win me back this way, you're wrong." And he's like, "I'm not here to win you back. So and so has been murdered, <laughs> and you need to get out of town. Yeah, we're gonna get you." <laughs> or he says, "If anything happened to you, well, I would just, I would be just all, all messed up." Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Golly gee. Ah, uh, well, I mean, when you're analyzing it. <laughs> It does. It does have some faults, but I will say overall that it is uh, a really cool thing. One thing we haven't talked about, and um, is the director of this movie, Joe Johnston. He may not be a name that people recognize, but you are going to recognize his work because this guy, before he directed um, the Rocketeer, he was a visual effects supervisor and creator in Lucasfilm. We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get more into that in just a little bit. But he worked on A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. He was the art director and visual effects with Industrial Light and Magic for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And this is all before he started directing his first feature in 1989 with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Followed that up with The Rocketeer. He had uh, another unsuccessful movie. Uh, which is memorable, though, with the Page Master. You know, that's the mm-hmm. animated Macaulay Culkin mm-hmm. feature. But uh, redeemed himself with a huge hit of Jumanji, starring Robin Williams. And um, and then one of my, four years later, one of my personal favorite movies, uh, very underrated, very underrated drama, one of Jake Gyllenhaal's early movies, October Sky. Have you seen that movie? No, but the... Movie poster is him like looking up at the. Oh wait, no, that's that's that might be it. Because he's like this, uh, and so just for everybody, I'm I have my eyes closed and I'm like like open mouth smiling towards the sky. Is that? It? Uh, I think is that, that like might be it. Yeah, poster. Yeah, it's about a kid who dreams of building rockets. Homer okay. Hickam. Yep. Uh, and then did massive movie 2001 Jurassic Park three. But mm. what's great about this is, uh, I. There's a question I asked uh, Billy Campbell in my interview. I said, "What do you think? Do you think the Rocketeer would be received differently now uh, if it were released now instead of 1991?" Mm-hmm. Well, you almost have that answer. It's a slightly different property. You almost have that answer because in 2011, uh, Marvel tapped Joe Johnston to direct a movie 
based off of his history of directing a period piece like The Rocketeer, another superhero movie, uh, because he directed Captain America, the first Avenger. Hmm. So that's the only Marvel movie he's directed, but it was really cool that they entrusted him with such a important character mm-hmm. that carried the rest of the Avengers, you know, down the line. And uh, that was a great movie too. Especially, I mean, it, it totally nailed the aesthetics, right. just like the Rocketeer. Most recent movie he's worked on, uh, he directed. Uh, he got the directing credit. I don't think he did, did all of it. I think Lasse Hallstrom did some of it. But the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Uh, Never heard of it. What? Okay. I know what the Nutcracker is. I was a Polo Chanel. Uh-huh. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. Uh, and it says on IMDb he's announced for the Chronicles of Narnia, the Silver Chair. But we'll see where that comes in. Um, Are they still uh, making those movies? I guess. Chronicles I didn't know. Uh, who knows? One thing I almost forgot to talk about mm-hmm. is the epic score for this movie. It is very good. By James Horner. Now, I don't want to just talk about how good it is. I want to I want to call on our listeners. I don't have this superpower, but I want to call on our listeners. Maybe someone can email us and tell me that I'm not crazy. But I feel like this soundtrack has been used. Mm-hmm. In multiple other movies. I think they use it in trailers. Do they? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because th- there is one segment, and I'm going to try to get Brian to be able to insert it right here. That is like so indelible in my mind mm-hmm. as hearing it on other uh, movies, but I can't, I cannot place any other movies I've heard it on. I've just been like, oh my gosh, I've heard that. And for it to have originated with The Rocketeer mm-hmm. is really, really cool. Now, I, I brought this up with some of my friends online trying to get them to help place it as well. And they're like, no, I, ca- I can't place it. But James Horner, may he rest in peace, he's a great composer. But he is uh, also credited with taking things that exist, Mm -hmm. sometimes of his own creation, and then modifying them just enough Mm -hmm. to where they're different and and or not uh, uh, able to be sued Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, by other rights holders. But um, so it could be that he took this creation and then modified it slightly and using other movies and just my brain just puts them all together. Yeah. But it's, I know it's not the same composer cause, uh, but one of my other favorite movie soundtracks is Rudy by mm-hmm. Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. And this has a lot of the same kind of style and build. And, um, I just love this one. I, this is one where you can put it on, um, and, and work or write. I'm the kind of person when I work on a project, I can't have, music that has words right. or lyrics because mm-hmm. my brain just doesn't it listens to those words and i can't think about what i'm supposed to be doing um so movie soundtracks mm-hmm. are uh, movie some, scores movie scores or something that i <clears throat> that i put on and this instrumental from james horner is just fantastic clear skies good wind speed 
It's the perfect day for testing out my rocket pack. So the reason we started the podcast is, of course, because of the Rocketeer reboot on Disney Junior. Um, Brian, you and I both have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a little while since I've watched Disney Junior. Okay. But I had to check out this cartoon for this episode. And I got to say, I like what I saw. Yeah. The, so as far I have seen Disney Junior more recently than you have because I have a six-year-old. And... Um, I will say as far as the cartoon goes, it is right in line with like Sophia the First and and those and Doc McStuffins and like mm-hmm. it it the look and everything is is perfectly fits in with with those current shows as well. Um I will say I was surprised uh, cuz at first, you know, I I knew that um I knew that Billy Campbell was in the first episode. Uh-huh. And so I'm thinking, okay, so they're going to have it placed like in the 40s or something, uh-huh. right? <laughs> and then um it starts off with like a uh like an animated thing about the rocketeer or whatever, right? Like a it's almost like a propaganda film of the of the rocketeer. Right. And so I was like, okay, cool. And then and then it was like on an iPad. And I was <laughs> like, oh, well, how are they going to make this work? Because yeah. there's no way from 38 to today like how but um I I think that the the first episode was really good. Yeah. So um this one is takes place in the modern day. Uh we've got modern technology. And the protagonist is actually Kit Secord, mm-hmm. uh, a young ingenue who is the great-granddaughter of the original Rocketeer, uh, played by Billy Campbell in the movie. Um, Billy Campbell is back as Kit's father, and then in flashbacks as the uh, the Rocketeer himself. So, yeah, I was surprised to see this, too, because when I got the pitch to interview Billy because of the new... Rocketeer series, I'm like, oh, cool, they're doing a straight cartoon reboot, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but no, he's just uh, just your dad, and Kit is the is the is the main character. I am all for this. I'm all for female leads. I I love the female empowerment, and uh, I, I love that my young daughters could, you know, and Brian's daughters could have a cartoon like this to look up to. I I so I don't think it's that far of a stretch, just because. They kind of built up, and the the original Rocketeer, uh, you know, they built up that kid. I don't remember her name in it, but um, she helps Billy, like uh, uh, or oh, Cliff, yeah. and and then at the end, she's the one that comes up with the um, "Have no fear, it's the Rocketeer," and like she's like running around, uh-huh. and so like they kind of built it up like maybe she would be a bigger part in part two mm-hmm. you know because the movie kind of ends with her and so it makes perfect sense for me for the movie now when you when you talked um to billy did he say he's going to be in more than just the first episode yes okay because at first i was like oh well the first episode the first episode is almost the story of the rocketeer mm-hmm. without the mobsters the nazis uh-huh. uh and, and that kind of stuff it's if you take everything except for that part of the movie it's almost like a beat for beat same thing as the first half of the Rocketeer. Yeah, and um, well, in the first episode of the cartoon, it's it's one of these. Uh, it's structured where it's kind of two short mm-hmm. episodes packaged together as one episode, and so it's only the first half that's right. really that origin yep. story, mm-hmm. and then it goes into a completely different story. And they have some ancillary characters too that are great. They have a. Uh, I, I hope I'm getting this right, but I think it's 
Laura and Harley. Yes. Which uh-huh. are, uh, f- to me, I may be reading too much into it, but I think, you know, female versions of Laurel and Hardy. Right. Mm-hmm. So just a little clever nod to the to the grownups in the room. Um, so she solves problems. Um, but what I love about this one is that it's not like a Doc McStuffins and it's not like, um, you know, a Handy Manny where there's like, so on the nose obvious lessons right it's not i mean there's definitely some lessons that can be learned through these episodes Mm -hmm. but that doesn't seem to be the point of the rocketeer it's just fun well so i so i would argue that i think the first half is not there like i was trying to figure out what the lesson was during the first half and the best i could come up with was believe in yourself Uh because everyone's telling her she's too young to be a pilot uh, but then also like she steals the rocket and like, she's always like, believe in yourself no matter what anybody else says and steal things and stuff. So I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like the first half doesn't really have, I think it's more of like an homage and a passing of the torch uh-huh. type of deal. Yeah. And then the second one, uh, the second half, I, I, there was like communication skills was what that one was about. Wasn't right? she gifted the thing? Wasn't it just mailed to her? She got the helmet from somebody. Oh, okay. And yeah, then yeah. when, right. when her grandfather saw it, I went, well, my my grandfather or my yeah my father told me that uh he was the rocketeer and he, and he has the rocket which exploded in the movie so yeah. but who knows you know what i think that uh i think that they can retcon her getting the rocket in this show uh-huh. because at the end of the first rocketeer they have the plans for the rocket right so it's easy to say oh yeah they built they built another one mm-hmm. um but yeah i think i think the show is a lot of fun um i think it's surprising to me because you know the it takes place in la i assume the cartoon does also uh-huh. uh, because it's the same airfield and it has the the diet bulldog the dyna, cafe right mm-hmm. and and it's cool to see it grown up around that because in the movie it was very it was an empty area right mm-hmm. like you you there was no other buildings around and it's cool that now there's a the, the city has expanded enough to reach the airfield uh, and i think that that's cool because Sometimes when I go to a city that I've lived in before, I always drive by my old house if I'm close enough to it. I'm always like, man, this is crazy how much is built up. And so you get that feeling from watching mm-hmm. the show. So, mm-hmm. Well, uh, I will say that as a 40-year-old man, this is not going to be a show that I personally uh, seek out and watch. <laughs> but if my 10-year-old daughter decides she wants to watch it, it's something that I can also enjoy mm-hmm. while she watches. And so I think you know our audience... It's probably of that age too, where they have children, and you know this is this is something that you can feel totally comfortable sharing with them, and also find some enjoyment too. That's not just you know some boring um, lesson teacher. It's a little adventure, a little fun, a little whimsy. It still has a little bit of that same character of the Rocketeer, just for a little younger audience and maybe a newer generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do like the update. They the update to the helmet. It's at the beginning of the, epi- the episode. She has the same helmet as the Rocketeer, uh, and then they kind of update it for her. Uh, but they keep a lot of like the same, like the venting and the and the, her helmet. Uh, I wish it covered her face a little bit more, but I know that you want to associate yourself with that character, and mm-hmm. so that's why it's the way it is. Um, but because <laughs> there's parts where like her dad sees her, and you can just she's just wearing goggles, <laughs> and, and <laughs> you see her eyes, and he has no idea that it's his daughter. <laughs> so, uh, but. I, I like I like that the updating that they did for it, and I think that it it feeds in well to the original movie. Totally, I was super thrilled to be able to have the opportunity to speak to Billy Campbell himself. 
Um, if I were 11 years old and you tell me I get to talk to the Rocketeer, I would not have believed you. Um, so we're going to go to that interview in just a second. We're going to pick up in mid-conversation because uh, he had uh, he's he was it was the nighttime routine for him. He actually lives in Norway now. Oh wow! And um, he has some young kids that were uh, were in on the interview. So we we uh, clipped a little bit of this out. But um, you know, I would have loved to have an opportunity to talk to him more at length about the uh, the original Rocketeer series. But we're uh, you know here because of the new one. So. We get a lot of conversation in about the the new series and a little bit on his past as the Rocketeer. But thanks to Disney PR for this opportunity to talk to Billy, and here's the interview. Did you do you think that if the Rocketeer uh, movie premiered today, do you think it would be have been received differently? Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, I, you know, it, it it wasn't received poorly in its day. It was just sort of sandwiched between two huge summer hits um, without any discernible sort of box office stars and uh uh the uh i think the advertising campaign was maybe a little was a little uh, mistaken mm. but um uh i think it could have done really well in its day um gotcha. but as far as how how it would do today i i really don't know i don't know all right well one one last question about classic rocketeer uh, and then we'll move on to the new series. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. But I, I have a friend and I, who is uh, the biggest Rocketeer fan. He's got a, a giant tattoo on his forearm of the Rocketeer. And he, I said I'm interviewing <laughs> you. And he, he wanted to know uh, if you were able to take anything from set as a memento. I did. Uh, I, I took one or two tiny things, nothing big, no helmets or clothing or anything like that. Um, I, I took... Um, one of the menus from the Bulldog Cafe, uh, and um, I—that might have been about it. Uh, and then years later, I gave it away. I, I met a guy. I was down in, it was in a pub in San Diego, and th- there was this table of big, brawny guys that were awfully loud, you know. And we just had them on our radar because that's what you do. You just kind of watch out for the table, and um, and. And uh, a couple beers later, I was uh, dismayed to find one of them standing right behind me with his hand on my shoulder, <laughs> looking down at me. And I, I was like, uh-oh, uh, can I help you? And he said, uh, in the sweetest voice, are you the rocketeer? <laughs> <laughs> with great relief, I said, yes, yes, I am. And uh, he said, well, I'm a, I just want to say I'm a, I'm a Navy SEAL because of you. And and all my pals over there are Navy SEALs as well. And and can we have autographs? Wow. <laughs> like, okay. So I got to know those. I got to got to know those guys and hung out with them a little bit while I was in San Diego doing a play. And and um, I ended up giving that menu from the Bulldog Cafe to to that guy. So I officially have uh, on his birthday. So I officially now have zero um, 
memorabilia from the movie. Oh, man. Well, that's a really cool story. That's awesome. All right, so since the Rocketeer first premiered, I'm sure that there's been tons of talk over the years, potential sequels, reboots. What do you think it was Mm. about this new Disney Junior version of the Rocketeer that got it a green light? And what about the project made you say yes? Well, um, I, I think it got a green light because it's a great idea. Uh, I, I think it lends itself perfectly to a, to a to a cartoon. I mean, it was a cartoon to begin with, or a you know a, a comic. Um, and uh, I love what they've done with it, giving 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 uh, the lead to a to a young girl. Um, though Disney are Disney are good that way. Um, Yes, I've always wanted to do voice work, and and um, this was the well, the one and only job that ever came along, voice work wise. Uh, it's the only job that's ever come along, voice work wise. And I I thought, well, geez, I'm the Rocketeer. They can't. They're bound to give me this. So so, <laughs> so I uh, so I signed up. I have such a soft spot in my heart for that film. It, it's. You know, it's not just a film I did. It's it was a major part of my life and and a and a and an entirely wonderful part of my life. So I'm I'm I have a huge soft spot for it. So and Dave Stevens yeah. was a good friend yeah. and and you know um, I have awesome. a soft spot for him. Uh, well, I've seen the first episode, but uh, for maybe some listeners who haven't yet. Well, what could you tell our followers about the character you play in this version and how it fits into the new Rocketeer? Cause yeah, I, well, I I play the the father of the of the the new Rocketeer, um, and uh, um, and I am myself the grandson, I believe it's the grandson of uh, of the old Rocketeer, uh, whom I will also play in flashbacks, which is kind of fun. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the, the new Rocketeer's dad and I gave her, her, her love of flying and, um, uh, and, and then she, of course, she discovers a rocket. I'm sure you've had a lot of time to think, uh, over the years of you portraying the Rocketeer and, and now in this new role, I'm wondering, uh, if you, you know, the, since the movie takes, took place in 1938 and the new series, it seems to be set in the present. Do you have an, a, perhaps an imagined backstory about what happened to Cliff Secord in the intervening decades, or is that something we're going to see uh, play out through the new series? I don't have an imagined backstory for the intervening uh, decades, but um, I, I do. I did write a backstory for the uh, for uh, Cliff Secord at the beginning of the Rocketeer. Um, uh, uh, but it's an interesting it's an interesting question. Um, uh, no, I don't have a backstory. <laughs> no worries, I just didn't know if. You <laughs> no, were... I don't. I don't have a backstory for his his life. Uh, you know, post that film, mm-hmm. but I do have a backstory for his life and PV's life and everyone's life. Uh, pre, you know, prep sort of preparatory to that film. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like you mentioned, I guess we'll get to see some flashbacks in this new series and, and maybe we'll get some more revelations along the, along the episodes. Um, you mentioned yeah. that this was your only voice acting work so far. And I know that you're, mm. you probably record in a solo booth. I mean, that's what most voice actors do these days. And so there's not a whole lot of 
yeah. group interaction. But I'm wondering, you know, I'm looking at this cast list, and you've got legendary voice actor Frank Welker is part of the show. I'm wondering if he has mm. imparted any wisdom to you or if you've learned anything from these voice actors um, yourself. I haven't met Frank yet. I, I look forward to it. Um, and when I do, I will, uh, I will, uh, I will twist his arm for uh, whatever he can, whatever help he can give me. Um, and I, I, um, uh, but, but no, I haven't, uh, I haven't met anyone yet. I'm still, I, I, on rare occasions when I'm in session, I get to hear, uh, somebody doing a line. Um, normally I don't even, I don't even hear that. Mm-hmm. And it is it is kind of lonely. It's lonely work, but uh, it's, it's certainly not being on a film set. Um, but it is fun. It's fun and it's fast and it's uh, and it's a different thing than I've grown up doing. And I look forward, hopefully, I, uh, to doing more of it. Well, I know you just mentioned you haven't met any of your fellow castmates in person yet, but I'm wondering, you know, speaking of imparting wisdom, do you think you'll offer up any advice on taking over the mantle of the Rocketeer to your co-star Katana Turnbull, who plays Kit? <laughs> I'm not sure there's any advice I could I could give her. I, I'm we're we're uh, you know aside from aside from personal advice, you know, don't let anything go to your head and. Uh, and just have fun. Well, I've seen the first episode, like I mentioned, and I love the energy. I love the humor. What do you hope young viewers enjoy most from the new Rocketeer? You know, just the spirit of the thing. I mean, the one thing I can tell um, so far from seeing what I've seen of the series, it has the same kind of friendly and sweet spirit. Uh, and you know, that's, uh, that's really worthwhile in this crazy world of ours. Uh, have your own children gotten to, to take a peek yet? No, no, not yet. Um, one's too young and the other is, uh, is, well, we, we haven't seen any of it yet. Uh-huh. It hasn't, it's not out yet, but. Um, I, I will let the older one see it uh, as soon as I can uh, arrange for him to, and uh, and then the younger one's probably a, a ways away from that. Get down, get down from there, get down from there. Speaking of the young one, get down from there. You're not supposed to be up there. You know that. Here we go. Um, yeah, he's a climber. <laughs> he's a, he's, he likes it up there in the sky. <laughs> Just uh, one final question. You spoke previously about. Um, how important it is for there to be a new female lead. And I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit more about that and what maybe new take this will bring because of that change. You know, I was listening to a podcast today, the Freakonomics podcast, and and, and um, the guest was uh, Gina Davis. You know, she she's the Oscar-winning actress from from mostly the eighties and nineties, I guess. And, um, she, she's done a study on, uh, you know, uh, um, women, uh, the parts for women in, in, in Hollywood. And, um, even those folks who feel that, uh, you know, there, that things have changed are shocked to find, um, how much they haven't. 
And uh, I, I'm sort of in the camp of folks who agree that, uh, you know, it, it, sh- it should be 50-50. It should be, it should be more than 50-50, at least for a while. Um, I, I think I think it's such a good thing that that um, that the Rocketeer is is a young girl. It's a, a wonderful thing. It's something that I wish that uh, I mean that my children will see and that they will have the feeling that anybody can do anything. You don't have to you know be restricted to uh, um, one thing or the other because of uh, because of your sex. And um, that's the, I think, probably the most valuable thing about uh, something like this. Fantastic. Well, um, is there anything else you want uh, our readers or listeners to know about you uh, and any projects you have coming up? I, I've been doing a, a, a series, a Canadian series called Cardinal, which uh, which has done uh, quite well uh, in its uh, native Canada, but also around the world. It's uh, showing in over a hundred other countries and uh, including those of Scandinavia. Um, and other than that, I've got nothing going on. I'm <laughs> trying to raise two kids and, uh, and having a great time. I'm, uh, I'm practically retired. Uh, I'm not really, but, um, but, uh, sometimes I feel that way. And, uh, um, yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, Billy, thank you so much. I'll let you get back to that family of yours. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak to me today. Oh, no worries. My pleasure, and uh, and take care. You are alone. I have two droids. We've come in search of a ship that crashed near here. Maybe I can help you. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. So, talking about uh, Joe Johnston... Right. And how um, he directed the Rocketeer and, you know, his history with Disney and working for Lucasfilm and that kind of thing. Right. Like you were talking about earlier, how uh, he came up with a bunch of designs and one of them was for Boba Fett. And I was thinking, well, Rocketeer is a cool guy with a jetpack and Boba Fett is a cool guy with a jetpack. <laughs> so how about I talk about Boba Fett and uh, and kind of segue it into uh, the Mandalorian, right? Perfect. So, so old becoming new. Um, well, I am a blank slate, sir. So mm-hmm. please school me um, because I have not been keeping up with the new Mandalorian talk. Uh, I, I'm too focused right now on watching the trailer over and over again for uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. So the Boba Fett is an interesting character, right? Because he uh, really was pretty lame in the movies. Like he had some cool parts, <laughs> but he died very unceremoniously. Uh, but uh, as a character, he was really cool looking, I think is that, and he's a bounty hunter. And I think that's really, really got people yeah, I think his, bought into him. his, his, uh, his mystery. Right. It was the real appeal there. Mm-hmm. And um, if you go back and watch the very first time Boba Fett was introduced to everybody, it was during the uh, star Wars Christmas special. And there was this company that did uh, an animated um, short, I guess, or uh, like a the short animated episode of uh, basically Boba Fett capturing Luke and Han and Chewie and R2-D2 and C-3PO, um, only to let them slip away through through his fingers. Uh, but so that, that cartoon was really cool. It was done by... Um, 
this French studio. I think there was a French studio. And uh, basically it was a, they're, they're, when they were coming up with this, uh, with George Lucas, they wanted it to be like a Western, a Western feeling thing, which, um, you know, they want this, this person, this bounty hunter to be shrouded in mystery, like what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, basically what happens is, uh, Luke and Leia and the droids are hanging out and the millennium Falcon is coming towards the base, but, um, Chewie's like firing on them and, and that kind of thing. And they're being like Han has gone crazy. And, and this, this, they don't understand what's going on. So Luke uh, is going to go try to rescue him. And Leia's like, Hey, take the droids. He says, okay, cool. It is weird. Uh, R2, Luke can't understand what R2 says. C-3PO has to translate for him, which is funny because in the movies, Luke uh-huh. just knew. And so, um, but you know, I don't know, maybe they started this process before, they had all, all those plans figured out, but, uh, so anyways, they wind up crash landing on this planet where, um, where Han, where the millennium Falcon lands and Boba Fett saves Luke and the droids. And, uh, you know, he's like, you oh, know, you're not a friend of the, you're not a friend of the empire. And he's like, oh, no, no, not here. Uh, but they are gaining power on this planet. So I'll help you get your friends that way you guys can leave. And so they go get, find out that, um, that Han is like, he's hung upside down in the Millennium Falcon because this amulet that they have found uh, drives people crazy and makes them fall asleep. It only works on humans, though. And the only way to keep them alive is upside down so the blood will rush to their head. And so um, Boba Fett says, oh, yeah, I know what this is. Uh, there's a place in town that has the antidote for this, for what's going on. Let's go get it. And so, uh, they become, he becomes like Luke's like, Oh cool. You know, we're friends now. And so, uh, he's like, Chewie goes with them. And when they get to town, Boba Fett's like, Hey, I got to go do this by myself because the empire is going to see you. You know, we're, we're all friends here. Let's just calm down. When he goes to this thing, he talks to Darth Vader on this intercom and Darth Vader is like, Oh, I knew that's why everybody says you're the best bounty hunter because he had totally befriended everybody and, and had him going, going on for a ride and he was going to, to deliver them to Darth Vader. And when they get back, uh, or before they, while, while this is going on, R2D2 intercepts the, the transmission. transmission and they find out what's going on. The droids do. And so when he gets back, they save Luke and Han, uh, and give them the serum to, to bring them back to life. And then, um, they throw Boba Fett out and they, they escape uh, because the droids tell, tell Luke what's going on. And so, um, the whole episode is very surreal. Uh, it makes me, you know, there's a lot of like seventies art that, uh, I always, I associate this look with French stuff and it's cool because the, um, studio that did this, uh, animation wound up doing the animation for, uh, the Ewok and droids, uh, show. Oh yeah. Um, and so like the characters are the exact same, like all the character art and everything like that. Gotcha. I was going to ask you if that was the mm-hmm. case. So this was an animated segment on the holiday special. It's the only good part of the holiday special. Yeah, because the rest of it is a t- train wreck nightmare mm-hmm. from the clips I've seen. But I've not watched the entirety of it, so I can't say anything. Yeah, this is all new to me. This yeah, this whole uh cartoon escapade that you're talking about yeah. that's pretty cool and it, it really it's neat because it develops that character more right uh-huh. and you know everyone when the movies ended and P- 
people started writing the expanded fiction for it. You know, they, they wrote that Boba Fett fell his way out the other side of the Sarlacc, that he didn't actually die there. And so they were able to write stories about Boba Fett cause he's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, when Disney bought star Wars, all they said, all the expanded fiction is not canon anymore. Yeah. And so, uh, I think that D- Disney, it'll be interesting to see what they do with this show because the, the new show, the Mandalorian, because, Disney has said everything that is in video games is canon. Mm-hmm. And Boba Fett is in uh, in one of the Star Wars Battlefront games. And you can play him, I think, on the Jakku stage. And so technically, I guess Boba Fett is still alive. Okay. And so it'll be interesting to see what if, if they keep this going. So, so, you know, everybody knows who Boba Fett is. He's a cool-looking guy. Um, he is a clone of Django Fett, right? Uh, from episodes one, two, and three. And then you have uh, him watching his dad get beheaded by a Jedi and then pick the head up. Yeah. And um, so we assume that he has a grudge against Jedis after this point, uh, but they never really did anything else to develop him. So uh, I think what this show is, is it's kind of like a reaction to how cool everyone thinks that this character is and being able to, to, evolve that into an, a person that they can actually tell stories about. So, uh, you know, since we were talking about the Avengers earlier, right. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so this show is created by John Favreau and he is the, for season one, he is also the showrunner. Okay. Um, and they've already signed on a season two, even though it's not out yet. Uh, but just based off of excitement around the show and, um, I think he's going to direct more, more episodes in season two. Um, but the episodes in season two, um, they were able to, they're going to have, you know, it's, it's like a T, any TV show. You have multiple directors on, on the show. Right. And one of the directors for season two is going to be one of the stars of the show. And this is how they got him to be one of the stars. Carl Weathers. Oh yeah. Uh, he's going to um, direct also, because uh, that, that, he wanted to do that, and so that's how they got him to be a part of the show, was saying, hey, yeah, you can direct some episodes and that kind of thing. So. Carl Weathers, like Apollo Creed? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. he's that's awesome. Because he, he's, he's a character in the show also. Cool. And so um, basically this show is going to be, um, it is a Western-style uh-huh. show, right? And what they're saying is, um, you know, obviously since Boba Fett was a clone, he's not a Mandalorian, because uh, Mandalore is a place. And so they're saying, yeah, you thought that guy was cool. He ain't nothing because he's not a real Mandalorian. This is what the real Mandalorians are like. Yeah, while you were talking, I Googled and it says, will Boba Fett be in the Mandalorian? And it says, Boba Fett wears Mandalorian armor, but isn't a true Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. In summer 2018, Favreau revealed that the show will be set seven years after Return of the Jedi. So six years after the Empire's final defeat at the Battle of Jakku, and 23 years before The Force Awakens, and we'll focus on all new characters. Mm-hmm. And But focus on all new characters right. doesn't necessarily mean he won't be in there at all, so we'll P- see. People would lose their minds if Boba Fett... Because you could see like a battle between the two of them, right? Uh, because, uh, now granted, I am not... I love Star Wars, and uh, I know a decent bit about different things, but I don't hold a candle to a lot of people that are really into this stuff. Uh-huh. So... If I get some of this wrong, I'm sorry. But uh, so Mandalorians, they really live by this code, right? And 
there one of the things that they have a code about is a one-on-one battle and so it would be awesome if at some point but disney says yeah boba fett's still alive he's in that video game uh so boba fett shows up and they and him and the mandalorian fight over something right people would lose their minds i think it'd be <laughs> awesome but the bad thing about it is boba fett would obviously have to die so well i, I I like those opinions, and I also like your strategy of getting us new listeners by getting the Star Wars fans to hate listen to us <laughs> just to prove your uh, your insane lack of knowledge uh, to the Star Wars fandom. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's cool. I uh, I don't have a subscription yet to Disney Plus. Um, I'll wait and see what the what the verdict is on a lot of this stuff. But it's streaming apparently November 12th, mm-hmm. so very soon. Uh, I'm excited to see the the Star Wars uh, f- the Star Wars uh, saga continue in in, in serialized television. That's they, cool. They did a, a good job too with the streaming schedule for this. Uh-huh. Uh, presumably, there's a free month, right? You can get a free month for any streaming service just to try it out. And the it, you can't watch it from the start because the the show is. is so many episodes but it's going to be longer than a month and so mm-hmm. you have to buy it to keep ah, watching it, so. yeah, they get you hooked yeah the um I, I i just think it's really cool how uh they're able to uh take a character that started off as such a side character on a mm-hmm. side holiday special right and, and really develop him there and then kind of carry that through the movies and then how p- the popularity of that character has even though he wasn't someone developed really has been able to form a whole TV show nowadays, uh, you know, cause anyone can look at the armor and they immediately know, Oh, that's Mandalorian armor. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, I'm just really excited for this and the people that are involved in it. You know, like I said, uh, you have, uh, John Favreau is creating it and, uh, the showrunner for it. And he's one of the writers on it. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian. And uh, you have Carl Weathers is in it. Gina Carano, uh, Werner Herzog is in the show. Really? Yeah, and uh, Nick Nolte. Whoa! <laughs> so they dug deep. That's cool. It's, it's gonna. I think uh, this show. Uh, is, is, this show is gonna be really cool, and I'm really excited to see. Um, the uh, really excited to see what they what they're gonna do with it. So cool. Well, report back when it's when it airs, and we'll have some more to talk about. Well, I think that's going to do it for us for our Jetpack edition of <laughs> Wayback Attack. Um, you guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, we say it every episode, but if you could go on to iTunes and give us a review, that would really help other f- people find us and, and uh, grow our audience so that we can pr- keep on giving you more great episodes. Um, we're going to be back next week with a little bit of a different episode. Um, so stay with us and um, thanks for coming along for the ride. Yeah, uh, so uh, you can always find me on Twitter at, uh, at B.E. Grantham. Uh, where can people find you, Preston? I'm at Squared Stiff on Twitter and Instagram. You can always find the show at Wayback underscore Attack and at WaybackAttackShow.com. Uh, and then um, where can they send emails to? Uh, WaybackAttackShow at gmail.com. Hit us up. We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about the show? Do you have any questions for us? And, you know, give us some ideas for future topics to cover. Well, thank you for listening. Take it easy, guys.